Jonah chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, I would be, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said to Jonah, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there were more than 120,000 people who could not tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I think about Jonah and how if God could use such a sullen, angry, whiny, runaway like Jonah, he may be able to use me too. You know about Jonah, don't you? He ran away from God's call to preach to the Ninevites, those Assyrians, those enemies of Israel. 
And it's not that Jonah was just some guy out of the blue that God called to go do this. He was a prophet. It was his job to go and preach, to deliver the message that God gave him. Instead, what does he do? He sails for other lands in the exact opposite direction than the place where God told him to go. He was going to start over, you know. He was going to start a new life. He was to do something new, find a new job, make new friends in another town, that sort of thing. Whatever it was, it was not going to preach to the Ninevites. He was not even willing to bring a message of judgment and doom to his enemies. Go to that great city of Nineveh, God tells him back in chapter 1, verse 2, and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Immediately, Jonah runs away from the Lord, it says in verse 3. He goes to the nearest seaport village, boards a ship, and heads to a place called Tarshish, far away from where Nineveh is. But you would think that a professional prophet would know better. You can't run away from the Lord. You can't flee from him. So God sends this horrible storm after Jonah, causes the sailors of the ship, these pagan sailors of the ship, to cry out to their gods. And finally they discover that Jonah is the cause for this storm. And Jonah declares his faith and God says, yeah, I worship the God who made heavens and earth and the seas. And, and they're like, oh my goodness, what are you doing? You know, so they're all upset. And, and Jonah says, just throw me overboard. We'll be done with it and you'll be okay. Well, the sailors don't want to do that. They actually have compassion for Jonah. And they have concern for God, Jonah's God. Well, they finally come to the point where they're ready to toss Jonah over with their cargo. But first they pray to Jonah's God for forgiveness before they do that. And the storm dies down. And then the Bible, you know the story, the Bible takes us to scene two, inside of the fish. This huge fish that God provided to swallow up Jonah. And save him from the storm. For three days and three nights, it says Jonah prayed from inside the belly of that fish. I think one of my children said, yeah, he was sitting on a board inside the belly of the fish. I'm like, well, I don't know where the board comes from, but maybe it's from Veggie Tales or something. But uh, maybe there was a board in there. You know, he swallowed up Jonah. Maybe he swallowed up a piece of the ship, too. I don't know. But anyways, Jonah prayed three days and three nights. Uh, Salvation comes from the Lord, Jonah prays. This is before he was spat out in dry ground. So you remember Jonah, don't you? The one who tried to run away from God's call on his life. He was the one that was thrown off of a ship in the middle of the storm. He was the one that was rescued and saved by a huge fish that God provided for him. He's the one who was the recipient of God's grace and salvation. He's the one that didn't deserve to be saved, right? Jonah's the one who was sinning against God. He was running away from God. He was ignoring God's call on his life. When God saw him and went looking for him and and found Jonah in the storm, Jonah didn't deserve to be saved, and neither did his sinful nation of Israel. You see, Israel sings of God's salvation Psalms are full of it. They praise God for his grace and goodness toward them. They they confess God as the God of the nations and and that all the people of the nation should come to them and, and, and come to God and worship God. But when push came to shove, when God calls the prophet to deliver a message to a wayward people, the prophet flees in the opposite direction. 
You remember Jonah, don't you? Is there a Jonah inside of you? It was author and pastor Eugene Peterson who wrote that an obedient Jonah is really worse than a disobedient Jonah. An obedient Jonah, still angry and vindictive and full of hate, he obeys the letter of the law or the command, but, but then betrays the spirit of it through his anger and resentment. And the book of Jonah shows us that it is indeed possible to be obedient to God and still be angry. To be obedient to God and be vindictive, hateful. To be obedient to God and still have a bad attitude. To be obedient to God and be half-hearted. You might think that the child of God who's been chased down by God's grace, rescued from the storm and the fish, who, who's been comforted and called twice, given a second chance, would have a, a little more empathy, a little more understanding, be a little more eager and willing to talk about God's undeserved saving grace to others, but not Jonah. He's not very excited about God's grace extended to all kinds of people everywhere. Is there a Jonah inside of you? You see, Epiphany is that season or time of the year on the church calendar that reminds us of God's grace that is for all kinds of people everywhere. And once received, God's grace causes this radical shift in a person's Values, orientation, priorities. Life just doesn't remain the same when you've been caught by that powerful grace and love of God in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said it well to the believers in Philippi when he put it this way. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Philippians 2, or 3, excuse me. John the Baptist gave it all up in order to preach in the desert wilderness. The disciples dropped their nets, their full-time jobs, their family business, in order to follow Christ when they heard the call on their lives. God's grace changes a person. Changes a city, a nation, a church. And Jonah was that unwilling, half-hearted instrument used by God to bring a message to a wayward people. God still used him. It was a message of judgment, but apparently also was interpreted as a message of hope. That if they changed their lives, maybe things could be different. So the gospel of God is for all kinds of people everywhere, including our enemies. See, Jonah is a book about a prophet, not so much a book of prophecy like other prophetic books of the Bible. And Jonah reflects the attitudes of Israel at the time of hating this enemy, the Assyrians, and that city of Nineveh, that Assyrian city of Nineveh. A staunch nationalism pervaded the populace at the time. Israel was the, were the only, Israelites were the only ones who were going to be saved. Israelites were God's special people. The Israelites were the only ones God cares about, really. But as the Gospels of the New Testament tell us, as Jonah and the Psalms and other books of the Old Testament also tell us, God is calling others to himself. God is reaching out to the nations with his grace and forgiveness. God cares about Gentiles and people in every nation of the world. 
That's the impetus for worldwide Christian missions, isn't it? God cares about people from all walks of life in every part of the world, in all nations. That's why we send missionaries out. So Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh to preach, even a message of judgment to his enemies. Why? Because he's a nice guy? No. He's not that nice, actually. Uh, because he, he knows. Deep down, he knows. From personal experience, he knows about God's grace and forgiveness. If the people there actually respond to his message, they just may very well repent, believe, and be saved. And Jonah would rather die before that happens. So at the end of chapter 2, it says the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. And then in our reading today, at the beginning of chapter 3, God commissions and calls Jonah for a second time. The wording is almost exactly the same if you compared it to chapter 1. It's almost exactly the same of that first call and commission. The story is starting over. Jonah is getting a second chance after God has rescued him from the storm and the fish. He's, he's back where the journey began. He can't escape it. So God says in verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Well, that's the job of the prophet, right? This is his job, to proclaim the message that God gives him. Exactly. And only that message. There's no academic freedom for the prophet. There's, there's no creative editing allowed, no literary license for the prophet. He's called to proclaim the message that God will give him to proclaim. Many people today in some Christian circles feel they have this prophetic message for today or for our culture today, but they go far beyond what the scriptures actually say, what God has actually said and declared. A contrary message is not the same thing as a message from God. And just calling it countercultural doesn't make it a message from God either. So in verse 3, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Was it really a change of heart? Or just a realization that he wasn't getting away from this? If you, you, had a, you were in a storm and thrown overboard and the fish swallowed you up and spit you out on dry ground, you're, you're probably not getting away from this job. So next, Jonah arrives in Nineveh, it says, that great city. Many translations say that Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it, verse 3. But some translations choose to use another version of that word for large. The Hebrew word gadol can mean, also mean, no, it does mean large, but it can also mean great or significant or important. And some scholars believe that a three-day visit was sort of a natural time for visiting messengers because it would take time to meet with certain groups of people throughout the city at different levels. So it's not necessarily true that it would take three days of walking just to cover the distance of Nineveh if you were making a straight line through the city. It would take three days to visit and to have all these meetings with different groups. So the city was significant to God. It was important to God. And our English, uh, English Standard Translation or version of the Bible says, exceedingly great city to God. And the NIV, to the Hebrew interlinear Bible, translates it as a city important to God. So the significance to God may be more important than the great size of the city. This was an important city to God for whatever God's reasons are. 
and the people there mattered to God. And I think we see that elsewhere in the book. So Jonah goes a day's journey into the city, it says, proclaiming the message God gave him to proclaim. And what was that message? Forty more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Can't you just see him gloating as he says this? Maybe even with a smile on his face. Seems like he's just happy waiting for this to happen. Forty more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. No obvious word or call to repent or sense of hope that things could be different or change. No, this is a message from God's prophet that Nineveh will be overthrown, and it was a message of judgment. But even the pagans knew that you could appeal to the gods for mercy. So the amazing thing is that it didn't take Jonah three days. It didn't even take 40 days for the people to get the message. Immediately after the message on day one, what does it say happens? Look at verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Sackcloth is kind of like putting on a burlap bag, you know, uncomfortable clothes as a sign of mourning and repentance. So they immediately put on the uncomfortable clothes, and they stop eating. They start fasting, all of them. The people responded in repentance and faith with some vague hope that perhaps, maybe, no guarantee, but maybe God would not do what he says he would do through this half-hearted prophet. There was a citywide response to this very short message. Not too bad for one day of preaching, right? But that's not all. On, the, on, on day one of preaching, he also, this message also reached the king of Nineveh. And when he heard the message, and when he heard about the citywide response to Jonah's message, verse 6, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Now, who knows what the context was here for Nineveh at that time, historically speaking. Did they experience a number of uh, earthquakes in this pre-scientific era? Was there a solar eclipse? Was there famine and drought? And, and then maybe the prophet's message was just on top of all of that, and, and the people just got it right then and there. we got to do something different. Our lives need to change. We need to, do, we need to be made right before God, and we need to make sure it's genuine and real because Jonah's God is going to know we're just putting on a show. So, so we don't know the background there exactly of all these things were going on ahead of time. So the king issues his decree to have people and animals to fast from food, abstain from food. So he called on the people to call urgently on God, it says. Give up their evil ways and their violence, verse 8. Call urgently on God. Give up your evil ways and your violence. For who knows, verse 9, who knows God may yet relent with, and with compassion turn from his fierce anger and we will not perish. Even the king gets involved. He leaves his throne. Even he responds in repentance and calls others to seek God's forgiveness. What's going on here? God's word is being heard and taken seriously at all levels from the least to the greatest, from the poor to the rich, from the powerful and those who have no power at all. God's word is being heard and taken seriously at all levels. Who knows? God may change his mind and relent from what he was planning to do in bringing that destruction on the city if the people repent and turn to God. In Joel chapter 2, we hear an echo 
to hear from into Joel chapter 2, another prophet, these theme verses of a prophet, I would say. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Joel 2.14, who knows? And there's the same words that we hear from the king. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. That was Joel chapter 2. Only God knows. But Joel has his suspicions. I mean, excuse me, Jonah has his suspicions. And he's not happy about it. In verse 10, it says, God saw what they did. Right? He didn't just hear promises. He just didn't hear, oh, I'm sorry, God. God saw what they did. The actions they took, the changes they made in their own lives. And it says he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. But to Jonah, chapter 4, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. I just knew it, he thought. I just knew God wouldn't do anything. Those people deserve judgment. They deserve punishment. They deserve their city to burn for what they've done to us. It's just like God to let them off the hook, forgive them. They don't deserve this. He thinks it's better for him to die than to live in a world where his own enemies are forgiven and given a second chance. Is there a Jonah inside of you? Nineveh repented. God relented. Jonah's preaching had a powerful effect, an immediate effect. Only that Jonah would have seen it that way. A couple of passages from the New Testament highlight this side of God's character and mercy well. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And in 1 Timothy 2.4, it says, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. God responds to genuine repentance, not just words, but changed life, changed behaviors. The pagan Ninevites repented more passionately and more immediately changed their lives than the Israelites did up to that point in their history. They put many of us to shame as well. How well do we respond to God's messages and God's messengers? To God's call to repentance, to changed life. In the Gospels of Matthew and Luke there, are, Luke, there are recorded these instances where people are demanding Jesus to give them a sign to kind of prove who he says he is. And Jesus responds by telling him, no sign will be given you except that of the sign of Jonah. Well, Jonah? Why Jonah? Who's Jonah? Well, Jonah was a prophet who warned a wicked people of their impending judgment. And what sign did Jonah bring? A miracle? A flash of lightning? No. For Jonah, the message from God was his authority. The message from God was his authority. The people listened, believed, responded to the message from God. And so that's what Jesus was saying. It is the message of Jesus that must be believed, listened to, 
responded to. The message of Jesus has divine authority that the people must respond to and be saved. In chapter 4, Jonah argues for the, this great worth and value and significance of this plant that grew up over him and shaded his head from the sun. Uh, but it, he never caused it to grow. He never nurtured it. Uh, he had no control over its demise either. Now, what right do you have to be angry, God asked Jonah. You see, the pagan sailors were a gift to Jonah. The fish was a gift to Jonah. He didn't earn or deserve God's second call and commission to preaching again was a gift to Jonah. Does not God have the right to bless who he wants to bless, to be compassionate on whom he wishes, to give gifts of undeserving grace to whomever, to whomever he wants to offer that to? So God says to him in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 4, saying, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for that great city of Nineveh, in which there were more than 120,000 people who could not tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And that's it. That's how the book ends. It's right there, with a question. No prophecy in the whole book, no, no resolution of Jonah's anger or what happens to him. Uh, it ends with that question, and the question's good for all of us, too. If God can give you something you don't deserve, can't earn, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, salvation, a second chance in life, maybe, who are we to denounce that grace of God in someone else? The weightier matters of the law, Jesus taught about uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, includes mercy. As we have been shown mercy, we should show mercy to others. For it says in James 2.13, mercy triumphs over justice. Mercy triumphs over justice. Mercy triumphs over justice. Will you pray with me? God of mercy, it can be so hard to see our hated enemies actually receive mercy in second chances. Our deep sense of justice blinds us to that side of you that is patient with sinners and desires to see all come to repentance. But Lord, when we take a step back, we remember that at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God, for your grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.